book of Colossians. Will be Colossians three is where we'll be at today. Um, I, I believe we have some uh, some Bibles dispersed, you know, in the in the uh, holders of the shelves down there underneath the uh, the chairs. I'd encourage you to be there. I always preach with the assumption that we have the Bible opened there, uh, and we'll have a few references outside of Colossians, uh, you know, on the screen. But it, it's always good for us to have the Bible there. Um, so make sure to grab one of those. Um, yeah, I'm excited about this. Uh, this this sermon here, I think it's a it's a it's a different kind of one. It feels very prophetic because it's a, it's a, it's speaking against you know sin and um, and it's a, it's such a good thing um, for us to do. But before we get too comfortable here, I know you all just sat down. A thing we we do to uh, to, to to practice our reverence of God is that if you are able uh, physically able to, I'd ask that you stand as we as we hear and read uh, the words of the Lord uh, revealed to us in Colossians three. This will be uh, verses one through 11. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. God, I would ask that you, um, as your spirit, you would, you would do the work uh, that you do so well, uh, convicting us of our sin, guiding us into all truth and glorifying Christ. Pray that we would see uh, an urgent daily need for us to, uh, to be in the, uh, in, in the way of putting to death our sin. Uh, that we may do it uh, not of our, own, uh, of our own energy, but that we, we do so in step with you uh, and because of Christ. That we always delight in, in, the, uh, in the freedom we have in Christ, in the forgiveness we have in Christ, that we may get to the task of putting death to sin and building up those virtues that exemplify you. And pray that you would be with me. As, uh, it, is, it is a struggle to preach on sin, oftentimes, not because it's a, a, a difficult topic, but, but sometimes that's it, but, but because uh, it's, it's arming the saints for, uh, for, for the war, and the spiritual war that's there. And uh, I pray that you would protect uh, my words as we, we clarify the enemy's attacks. Uh, I pray that you would... Uh, Protect my heart, uh, and uh, pray that you would give uh, clarity of, of thought and, uh, and soundness of speech uh, in this. Let the words of, uh, of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, my rock, my redeemer. Amen. So there is a, um, well, C.S. Lewis uh, is, uh, is, is an author that comes to mind here. Um, uh, wrote wrote a, a book, it's a fascinating book, a satire, uh, called Screwtape Letters. Uh, it's wonderful. Uh, if you've not read it, read it. Uh, 
Dave Iverson would tell, tell you to read it, one of the favorites. Uh, the, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's wonderful. So this, this idea, this, uh, this book, Screw Tape Letters, uh, is basically um, a whole bunch of, uh, it's fictitious, but it's uh, a whole bunch of letters written from, I think, Uncle Screwtape, Demon, uh, to, uh, to his nephew, uh, Wormwood. And so he's coaching him along on how to deal with his patient. His patient is this person uh, who becomes a Christian. And he's teaching him how to like, resist the way of the enemy, is what he says. So he's, that's God. So his task, Wormwood's task, is don't let this person be a Christian um, or distract him from it, uh, at least so that at the end, he's, it turns out that he doesn't actually believe and, and, and this is bad because that's when the demons win, right? And so it's all these letters uh, of how to encourage him and it's so insightful um, because you would think, okay, this is kind of weird, but as he's talking about, uh, about the way of, of our lives, it's very insightful to, to how the devil works, how, uh, how the attacks of, of the evil one come. Um, I, I would quote it because it's all over the place, so I'll, I'll just kind of give it a general sense is, uh, is, is the biggest thing that he, that he pushes for is that you must, he says, you know, my dearest Wormwood or something like that, you, you must keep him distract, in distracted ignorance always. If we, aren't, if, if, if we aren't focused on the real things of life, then we will never understand the real things of life. Uh, if, we, uh, if, if we are always entertained, uh, if we always think that we're okay, uh, then we'll never deal with the stuff that matters. And, and that's, his, that's, that's kind of his whole push there. I, I, you know, at one point he says, have him think about his mother. He's got problems with her. So go off to that way because that's not actually a big thing here because he's not dealing with his sin. He's distracted by stuff. So he gives all these different options of, of how to do this uh, we see in the book, I won't spoil it too much, but it doesn't go so well for Wormwood and it gets more intense and it's a, it's a pretty fun read and very insightful. Um, so this, this idea though of, of, of not taking it seriously, of, of, of keeping us in distracted ignorance always. See, the, the, the Apostle Paul here in the book of Colossians, he understands well before he read Screwtape Letters, which never happened, but uh, he understood the same idea. Don't just stay here not knowing what it is. We need to clarify exactly what sin is. We need to clarify not simply what sin is. We need to clarify why we must be against it, what it does, and how we deal with it. And so today, I want to really put that forward with us. As we go through this, uh, as we look and consider the words here in Colossians 3, 1 through uh, 11, I want to ask three questions. These will basically just drive the rest of, of our time here. Um, these three questions are, what is sin? So we need to know what is sin. If this is a big deal, what is sin? We need to know what, uh, what, what it is that we are, we are after. Um, the, the second question is, why must we kill sin? Um, and then the third question is, how do we kill sin? So what is it? Why must we kill it? And how do we go about killing it? Now, uh, I, I will admit, you know, C.S. Lewis has, has really influenced a lot of what I'm going to say, but, but even more so than that is, um, is uh, John Owen and his, uh, his work uh, on the mortification of sin in the believer. Uh, it is just fantastic. So a lot of what I'm going to be saying is, is, is heavily influenced by John Owen and his idea that we must mortify our sin. Mortify is to make dead, to kill, to, verse 5 of what we just read, to put to death, therefore, what is earthly in us. So we must be in the business of killing our sin every day. He says this, uh, John Owen says, the daily killing of sin is akin to the weeding of the garden of our hearts, pruning all the graces of God and making room for them in our hearts to grow. 
And so I asked the question here. This is one I've been wrestling with as the preacher, preaching the topic of grow and the text of Colossians 5. How is killing our sin actually uh, in, in, uh, related to our own growth? It's because it's vital. If we have a garden, and that garden is our heart, what is growth? We, we, we are told to have fruits of the Spirit. We are told to grow and abound. But we can't do that if we're watering the weeds the whole time. And so we really need to understand, you know, what are the weeds? What are the fruit? How do we grow rightly? It's not just that anything and everything grow. That's not what we're saying at Parkview. That's not what we're saying here in this text. The Christian way is not just that anything advances, but that the right things advance. And we need to be cautious and we need to be careful as, uh, as Christians that we are killing the sin. We are weeding the garden of our hearts so that we give sun, give nutrients, give water to what is right so that we may, uh, that we may put on the right way and we may exemplify Christ. So uh, the, the very short urge that it, there is for today is very intense. It's very uh, Puritan, uh, as John Owen was. It is be killing sin or it will be killing you. And I feel like a minor prophet here. We just got out of that and we had like one week break from the minor prophets. We're back. We're back there. Uh, be killing sin or it will be killing you. So let's keep moving. What is sin? Sin, uh, uh, I, I texted some of the pastors here because I just thought, what a great question for us to read and make fun of pastors for. Uh, I, I text this juicy, this juicy nugget here. It's, uh, um, I said, what is the, most cl- the clearest, most concise definition of sin you've ever had? And then my phone lit up for like 20 minutes. Um, okay, so here we go. Uh, Dave Foster says, Pastor Dave says, an offense against God. That's what he's heard. I think that one's actually pretty good. Um, the, uh, Pastor John McHale says, a heart of autonomy and rebellion against God. I think that's good. Uh, mine, which I didn't throw on there, would be uh, quoting a planning guy that says, uh, it is, a, it is a, a break or disruption in the shalom, the, the right way, the peace that's, that's supposed to be there. Uh, Wade Urig, he texts, not being a Hawkeye fan. I was thinking, as, uh, as born and raised in Nebraska, I was thinking, the wrong, wrong God there. Uh, but whatever, I guess we will worship in spirit and truth someday. But uh, yeah, so uh, the one that, that one that took the cake here is then uh, Wade redeems himself, and he came back with, with J.I. Packer, which always wins. Uh, so it is on the screen here, definition that we can, we can work with. So there are many ways to describe sin. Uh, this is a great one for us. Sin is a lust for self-assertion in defiance of God. Wow, that's big and weighty. Um, so let's break it down here. Uh, self-assertion, self, okay, self-advancement. I'm asserting myself. I'm making myself more. I'm puffing myself up. I'm bigger. Uh, this is equal to defiance of God. How does it work? If I am going for my things, if I am doing my stuff, then I'm somehow, whether directly or indirectly, I'm also saying, and God isn't so... Great. God isn't as big. It is in defiance of God, maybe not directly in his commands, which I would say it probably is, but to his person. If God is sovereign, then why do I work so hard in solving all my problems without prayer? This is self-assertion in defiance of who God is. Uh, If I believe that God is loving, why am I dealing with my things of, of, of today in a way that's very unloving? 
It's because I'm building myself up because I'm in defiance of God's love. And the way that I act, there's, there's, there's a theology that we have in our, in our minds, but there's a practical theology. The way I live, is it, is it showing the things of God? Is it showing that I have someone who is ruling me? Is this really what it is? And so this is that idea of that self-assertion in defiance of God. This is what sin is. I think sometimes we can just say, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bad thing. We all know this. But, you know, we confess it. But if we don't understand that it's a very subtle way that we sin, it's going to be like, I'll go to this, this idea of the garden. It's like a creeping vine. Sin is more of a creeping vine than just a big red flag of offense that God puts on you. It's subtle. And because it's not just a self-assertion in defiance of God, it is a lust for it. It's uh, uh, that, that, that idea of lust. It's that insatiable desire. It's a never satisfied longing for this. It's that we can never, ever be, uh, be complete when, when we say, I, I want to do it this way. 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 God's way is kind of nice, but I really enjoyed. It was comfortable. It was easier. It was faster when I did it my own way. So it's this ongoing cycle that we have to be aware of, that we have to be against. So that's just a general idea to work with today when we talk about the idea of sin. Because it's going to say, you know, we need to put, put this to death. So that's sin. We can put that in the crosshairs. I want to I drop this, though, just for the purpose of reading Colossians. I, I want to look at how does Paul define sin in Colossians. So uh, Colossians 1, verse 13 and 14. Um, I'll just read it here. Uh, uh, Colossians 1, 13 and 14. Uh, Paul says that sin is that which we have been delivered from by, for, and through Christ. He reads, uh, here it is. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Sin is the way of, of the person who lived in something completely different. It was the way of darkness. It was, it was the dominion of darkness. But now because of Christ, there is redemption there is forgiveness of sin, and we are in something different. You're going to see, when, when we talk about God and his holiness, when we talk about sin and, and its wickedness, we're going to see Paul does not have gray room. He is very, there's a dualistic, uh, uh, or a duality that he has going all the time. On the one side, we have the domain of darkness. On the one side, we have the way of Christ. We have forgiveness. We have the, the, the kingdom of Jesus the Son. He's going to make this divide to really enforce to us, like you, you can't, choose. There's no like middle ground. There's no like kind of sin, kind of not sin. It's one or the other, and it's that intense. And so this is where he starts with it. He says, it's that which we have been delivered from, so why go back? That's going to be his big point. So why go back to that? Why act like we're in that if we're over here? Why act like we're dead if we're actually alive? So then we, we zip ahead here into, into verse 9. And Paul says, sin is the way of the old self. Literally, there is the old man. Uh, and uh, that must be put off. So this old man, and this is maybe, maybe helpful for us, that it's, a, that it's the, the old man, the old person. Because sometimes I, I think that we, we come to this in, in, in our Christianity, we think that, uh, that we just have a new reputation. And, and that, that being a Christian means that we're, we're going to start a new thing and we're going to have a new reputation here. I think this is such great uh, conviction and such great uh, uh, um, comfort that, that Paul clarifies in this, in, this, uh, in this two-sided thing, there is an entirely new person. Um, so here's why. I, I, if you need conviction, here we go. Um, 
if you lived in one way and then you, you, you came to, you were convinced, I, sin is real, because it is, and I need a savior, and, and you are, and, and Christ is that, and you are forgiven, and now, right now, you out there, I'm talking about us in this room, uh, and you are now living, doing things back here, you are over here because of Christ, you're in the way of life, acting like you really actually just enjoyed this, you didn't really believe the sin was that bad, it was just convincing that one time. If that's you, this sermon is meant to light that fire and say, we got to deal with this. But it's great comfort to know that, that, that the new man that we get is, is a complete, just done with the old way. If you've ever had that, that sin that's in, in your mind, if you've ever had that regret, if you've ever had that worthless feeling, if you've ever had that, one of my favorite um, uh, musicians, I don't know if this is good, to, whatever, uh, his name is Ben Foltz. Uh, I really enjoy Ben Folds. One of his songs, he talks about this guilt that's always on his back. Um, and, and he uses the line, I don't know if it's appropriate or not, but he uses the line, uh, he says, my, uh, I hang my head in shame because my redneck past is always nipping at my heels. And, and it's that. And so, sorry if you're redneck. I didn't mean to offend. Um, but, but his thought there is, it's that thing where you sit there and you're like, oh man, back in high school, oh, I just can't get over that. And it keeps getting at you. Or that thing that I did, you know, a few years ago. Or that record that I have. That that, um, that, that th- the public thing that happened to me or whatever. It's that, it's that thing that disqualifies us. The devil loves this stuff. I have that. Maybe you have that. I see a few nods. I know that I'm not alone in this. When we are in Christ, we're not just like getting a new reputation. You're, you're new. Like you get new. It's something different. And in Christ, that newness is there. And it's not just new. It is, what is this in the, in the verses down here at the bottom? Uh, Verse 10, it is being renewed in the knowledge. It's like this, this, this perpetual newness that happens in Christ. There's this knowledge we have that there's this newness. There's this hope here that we have that we can come to this life, this new life in Christ. And so that's just explaining here a bit of what sin is. We're going to describe a little bit about, uh, about what it does, uh, but, but really it's for the purpose of explaining why we need to be daily killing it. Um, John Owen, I've, quited, I've quoted him already. Uh, I'll quote him here now. This is, this is kind of his big point that he makes. Uh, he says uh, in, his, uh, in, his, in his booklet on, on, uh, on the mortification of sin, he says, the choicest of believers, he says, the, most, the, best, the best believers there are uh, who are assuredly freed from the condemning power of sin, who, who we definitely know they are free, they have been forgiven, they are good. He says, this is it. This is for you. You ought to make it your business all the days to kill the indwelling power of sin. And then he asks some questions. He says, do you kill it? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it while you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. And so that's, that's what our sin is. He says, now we must be killing it every day. So, why must we be killing sin every day as believers, as new people? Um, verse 5, it says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. It's because, well, the Bible says it. Put to death what is, uh, what is earthly in you. Now, there's this two-ness, this, this dual thing going on here. This is part of Paul's uh, mentality, part of his worldview, a uh, part of the world that he's speaking into, uh, and he's speaking that to us, and it's really helpful. Uh, it's really helpful. He, uh, if, if you look at these, these verses here, there, there are these two things that he's always comparing to illustrate this. These are opposites. So in verses one and two, he says, the things of above. 
He's pointing us to above. He says, so therefore, don't look below, verses 2 and 5. So above and earthly, earth of earth of earthly is below. So there's a difference here. He says, put off the old man in verse 9. And then verse 10, put on the new man. There are two different things here. He says, put away in verse 8. And then if we cheat and go to the next verse after this passage, verse 12, he says then put on these other things. He's going to get at the end of this chapter toward the good side of this, what we put on, but right now he's just clearing house and weeding the garden of our hearts. Put away, put on, and then we get to the two that really make the big deal for today. Put to death, verse 5. Put to death. Why? What is the opposite of this? The opposite of putting to death is to make alive. I mean, that's in there. If we right-click, thesaurus, Verse 1, you have been raised. You have been brought alive. Why would we put to death something? Because the opposite of that is to live in the resurrection life that we are. To be raised means that we do things of the raised way. There is no place for these two ways of living to intermingle. And if you are alive in Christ, then live that life in Christ. So I think I've hit the basics of Christian living pretty hard right now. Now, I really want to go into this idea of why do we need to be killing this? Why is this such a big deal? It's a big deal because sin is indwelling and sin is active. I think those are going to be the two big points here. Uh, sin is indwelling and sin is active. And we have a, um, we have a garden. Uh, Stacy and I, the girls, we have a garden and we've made it and we're, I don't know, we're okay gardeners. I feel like this year has been awful for gardens, so I feel like we're the worst gardeners ever. Um, but there is this, uh, there's this thing that happens. Um, there are two things that, that I see are sin being. When I look at this garden, and I, and I put that onto my life, you know, as, as a believer. Uh, so there's a weed mat. Raise your hand. Anyone? Weed mat? Does anyone put that down like the black mat? Just to, it's the cheater way of not actually doing a good job with your stuff, so I'm shaming you. But we, put, we use it a lot because we're really bad at it. Uh, so the first year, what I did is I put it down uh, put down the weed mat because I said, you know what? We just need to have fruit. We, 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 are, we, are, we are called by God to make fruit in this garden. We will not have weeds. And that's how the pastor says gardening to his kids. It's weird. The, uh, we, we roll out the weed mat and I didn't weed. Um, so, so then the weed mat gets pushed up by the weeds and that was <laughs> so like, you know, just weed under there and put it down. And so, yeah, that was weird. That was cheating. We do that with our lives, though. We, we, you know, we just cover up something there. Um, and so this is one of the things that, that, you know, Paul discovers in his own heart is that, you know, I put that weed mat, and I'm, weed mat down, and I'm thinking, we're done. We're done with the weeds. We're done with the sin. Uh, the weed mat maybe is that new situation. I moved to a new place. I got a new job. I changed my social group. I changed my habits, my rhythm. I'm not going to those places. I'm going to these places. My entire uh, space, my entire situation is very, very different. But it, it didn't get rid of the weeds. Uh, because when I moved to that spot, I forgot that my heart, my heart, my heart is a weed factory, which is probably not the right way to say that. My heart produces weeds in the garden of my spiritual life. And Paul comes against this. He says, he says in Romans uh, 7, 22, 23, I think it's on, the, it's on the screen for us. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. You can go wherever you want. You can go to this campus, another campus, another town, another church. You can do whatever you want. 
But the fact is that the sin is not in those places. It's in your heart. And that's a big thing that we need to know. When he says, put to death what is earthly in you, not what is earthly around you, put to death what is earthly in you, we must know as Christians, we must know as people who are living in the way of Christ because we are resurrected people that we need to be in the business of killing our sin because it is there. It is indwelling. And it's not just sitting there observing. It's not a nice little wallflower observing your life. It is active. Uh, it is always active. It's like, uh, so we have the weed mat, <laughs> but then we have this other thing, uh, this creeping vine. I don't know what it is, um, and I'm not going to, I don't care to look, look into it. I'd rather just, you know, pull it out there, but I don't. That's the thing, because I'm lazy. Uh, so it's like this creeping vine. So this vine grows up on our chain link fence, which is right next to, you know, the, it's like, you know, half of the border of our, of our, uh, um, of our fence, of our garden. And so this thing's grown up on this, on the, on the fence there. And, and it starts off the year, and I'm like, this is lovely. I mean, we look like we live in an English garden because there are vines everywhere, and this is great. And, uh, and so I just sit there and, and watch it. And I'm like, it's, it's, it's innocent. It's not moving too much. This is wonderful. Um, but then I go back, and I look at our, at our uh, tomatoes, which are cherry tomatoes, and don't touch my cherry tomatoes, but this vine does. And I go back, and it's just like all around in them. It's like winding around and doing all this stuff. It's going over top, and, you know, blocking out the sun, and we got a problem. You know, like, I didn't take care of this, but it was growing. It didn't look like it was moving, but it was. Um, that's like our sin. It may seem all right. And this vine is really nasty because it like has flowers, so it's pretty. I'm like, this sin is, I mean, this weed is pretty, but isn't that how that works? This isn't that bad. This isn't, this isn't, this isn't so intense. I guess I could live with that sin. I guess we got some weed, Matt, if that's what comes up. I think you get where I'm going here. It steals the nutrients. It steals the water. It steals the sun because then I go away from the, the, the cherry tomatoes and then the cucumbers, they need to, you know, vine as well. Now all of a sudden, we, we're, we're fighting for space. Now who wins, the fruit or the weed? I'm not really talking about my garden. I'm talking about our hearts. I'm talking about our spiritual lives. We need to be in the business of killing our sin or it will kill us. But fortunately, this isn't the first time this has ever happened in history. We are not the first people that have struggled with sin. We have people that have gone through this over and over and over, and they've remained faithful. They've clinged to that hope that, that we have as Christians. We see them celebrated in the book of Hebrews. Now you can go to the next, uh, the next slide and they, they give us a, a great confidence, a great encouragement. It says, therefore, uh, Hebrews 12, 1, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, these faithful people who endured, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely like vines. If you read the NIV, it's even better there. Uh, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. That's what it does. We need to view our sin that way. Okay, so we need to view not other people's sin that way and it's entangling us. We need to view our sin that way. You have sin. It is in you no matter where you go and it is active and it's out for your death. Like that, that is what you need. If that's something you take home, that's what you should take home today. You have sin. It is in you. It is active and it is against you. 
That is why we must be killing our sin. But it's not fun to talk about. (laughs) This language is intense. This language isn't, you know, the most encouraging thing. But Paul uses this language as as a wake-up call that he says, we've got a big problem. We've got a very big problem if we think that we're okay while the weeds take over the garden. Uh, According to Uncle Screwtape, he says it this way. He says, uh, if you can once get him to the point of thinking that religion is all very well up to a point, which means that you get the person to, to, uh, to understand that, that religion, that Christ is not all-encompassing or that, that Christ is not of the utmost importance. It says if you get him to that point, you can feel quite happy about his soul. A moderated religion is as good for us demons as no religion at all. And a moderated religion one that thinks it's okay, but it isn't really okay, is more amusing. I think that's so great. That's totally what it is. If we think that we're okay and we're not a Christian, then, then the demons say, this is good, keep them there. If we think that we're okay and we are Christians, then what he says is not only is this good, it's going to be pretty fun because you're going to see people live weird lives, weird hypocritical lives that the book of Amos writes to. We must be daily killing sin because sin affects and sin spreads. So there's there's a nice one to write. Sin spreads. There is no such thing as isolated sin. I want to look at this. This is kind of our last little exercise here. It's it's gonna get it's gonna get interactive. Um, Let's look again at these lists of sins here. uh, Verse five and verse eight. So what I'm gonna do is I'm I'm gonna read them and I'm gonna clarify them in a way that I'm hoping that we narrow down. You will you will benefit from this. If the pastor prayed that the Spirit would convict us all the right way. He did that. I did that. So the Spirit, lean into that. There are going to be words here. Sit and reflect on these, not for the sins of, 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 of others, not for the sins of me, not for the sins of the guy or the gal down the road from you, your sin. Work on this now. This is, this is a chance for you. We don't slow down as, as Americans too much. Right now, I am writing our slowdown into this sermon. I'm going to read verses 5 and 8, clarify a little bit. Uh, of, of what these words mean so that we can identify. This is the botanist saying, this one's a weed, this one's not a weed. This one's got to go, this one stays. And so right now, the whole list is the go list. The, 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 the ones that stay are, are going to come in verse 12, and, and you can read that at another time. So right now, here we go. Verse 5 and verse 8. In one way or another, every one of these sins negatively affects relationships. It negatively affects the community. Here we go. Sexual immorality. Uh, The Greek word behind this is pornea. I think you can make some connections there as to why this would be. Uh, And and I love this. Uh, In the the equipping hour, this idea of uh, uh, morality. Morality is subjective. That came up in the equipping hour. Um, But it's not subjective. Morality is not subjective. It's founded on something that's real. God has standards. And so when we say this, it's not just you can do whatever you want. You can call it good sexually. God actually has a sexual ethic and it's within the confines of marriage. And so when you look at this, it's, it's any sexual act outside of the confines of marriage, but then it also goes another step, and it says there's some other things here. There are thoughts of this, because it's not just the actions, it's the thoughts, because really we're talking about the garden of our hearts, not simply our bodies. We want our souls to flourish for Christ, not simply our understanding of what that is. And so we have sexual immorality, 
We have impurity, which is, uh, which is filthiness, which is connected somewhat to this sexual thing, but it's also separate in itself. It's not seeking holiness. There's passion, wrong passions, also somewhat connected to the, the sexual desires. Evil desire. Covetousness, which is such a good church word. Uh, covetousness, it's the wanting of others' possessions. Whether that be uh, stuff or spouses, we're told in the Bible, don't covet it. Wanting of others' possessions, which then, it clarifies, is equal to idolatry. How is that? When we are covetous of others, when we want others' possessions, what ends up happening is we, we want that power that's there. We want the whatever it is that comes from that. We want that identity. We want that reputation. We want whatever it is. We build that up through the stuff that others have. We want that. We want that. We want that. And we are building up our self-assurance in defiance that God is already better than that. That's how this becomes sin, this covetousness. We are taking the offerings into ourself who we see as God. I want more stuff. I want a bigger house. I want their house. I want their spouse. I want their kids. They're so well behaved. I want... And then we, and then we jump ahead. Verse 8. Anger. Which, is, uh, which, I would, which I would call the fight response to a hit in our pride. Uh, we, we feel that we may be God, and we have our own desires, we have our own plan. When I drive my car, I have my own domain. It is my domain, my sovereign domain. Do not come into my domain. And someone does something, some idiot does something when they're driving. They enter my domain. It has hit me in the pride because I just realized that is not my space. Because someone just came in here, and now I'm angry. Road rage is an offense to our pride. It is that fight response there. But then it's kind of interesting. I mean, that's, that's one thing. There are many other things. These are my rules in the house, and our anger comes when we get a hit in the pride. It's not your rules. You're a steward of God's rules in your house. You need to move to God again. Uh, there are many other things like this. Uh, but then we get this one after it, anger and then wrath. Wait, wait a second. Are we just saying the same things. Wrath is a bit different. Now, obviously, I'm just doing this for our own reflection today, and so we don't have time to just really unpack this, but I think wrath, I would, I would characterize as something like uh, a lose-your-mind-beside-yourself kind of anger. It's that anger where, um, you know, we see that wrath is defined twice. Wrath appears twice in this passage. One of the others is the wrath of God. It's where we say that the wrath of God, which punishes in an angry way, uh, it, it, it rightfully uh, makes sure that that won't happen again. It, it rightfully pours down in a very intense way. There's this idea of wrath being uh, a violence. There's this kind of within that semantic range. There's a violence here. There's an outbreak. There's an outburst of this uh, toward the offense. It's when we take what's right for God and let him deal with the sin. Let the wrath be on whatever's there, but then we say, no, 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 self-assurance. I'm going to take this. I'm going to make sure you never do that to me again. And I'm going to do that, because we're Midwesterners, through passive aggression. <laughs> I'm going to be very violent to you in the slow trickle. I'm going to be upfront with you. Maybe it is actually a physical act of violence. Maybe that could be it. That is offensive to God. That's hurtful to the community. It could be something else. So the, the anger is kind of the thing. It says, in your anger, do not sin. So there's that anger, the, the fight response that you get. That wrath is, is so intense. It's God's. I mean, it says it right here in the text. It is God's to bring judgment on that in that way, to be against sin so much. 
And so what we do, what is our job then if we're not that? I'm just gonna pause there because if that's something that you struggle with, what is our response? It's to bring others to a knowledge that God's wrath is there. It's not to, don't offend me again. Don't do this to me again. That's not how we do. It's, this is an offense to God and it has to be an offense to God. Don't just say it is because that's the passive aggression, weird. Uh, And we need to call each other to be in line with God, not to not upset me. Okay, we're gonna continue on here. We'll, We'll keep rolling. Uh, And then we go to uh, anger, wrath, malice, uh, all these Christianese. Uh, Malice is an intent uh, or desire to do evil. Slander, which could be malice as well. Uh, Blasphemy is the word behind that. Blasphemy, a a speaking of untruth, a falsification of something, uh, denying that that it's there or denying the truth about that thing. A blasphemy of others. That's slander when we speak that way of others. Uh, Or obscene talk. Uh, This is coarse joking. This is lewdness. This is, uh, what is it, trash talking or dirty talking? There you go. Um, It's it's obscene talk. Why is this? This is all something there that spreads. That's the whole point. Sin spreads. Why do we root this out? Because it's like that vine. It spreads. You know, maybe another way, if we get out of the the garden analogy, it's like uh, uh, the, the ripple effect. You know, you throw a rock into the pool and there's a ripple. That's what our sin does. It, it is always doing that. But, but what we happen as a church, when, when all these sinners get together, we, we, we end up, we all throw rocks in <laughs> and it just makes it just a whole bunch of chaos. And is that the way of the church? Is that the way that we grow? No, that's the way that we, we create chaos. There's no sin or there's no such thing as an isolated sin. Sin spreads. There's a ripple effect. And so, how do we go about the business of daily killing our sin? I think there are three quick ways to do that. We must understand that there is one who killed that sin once for all. It's Jesus Christ. We must understand that the work of, uh, the effectual work, the effects of Christ played out in our lives are done through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who guides us. Uh, In John 16, he says, uh, Jesus explains the work of the Holy Spirit. He says, he will convict the world concerning sin. He will guide us into all truth. He will speak whatever he hears and he will glorify Jesus Christ. He does this when we're able to take a pause and we're to see the sin and we're to say, Christ has dealt with this. How am I to respond? How am I to guard myself? How am I to root this out? He, he will guide you into all truth. I think this is one that we don't do so well. When we see a sin, when we see someone doing something and we don't call it out rightly in truth and love. We have to build the relationship with one another so that the Spirit can work so that, and the Spirit can work through us as we have that truth so that they know we love them, but we've got to turn this. I don't know how many times subtle things here or there, coarse joking, man, that's the easiest one. Coarse joking just flies and we don't do anything about it. There's a real offense to God because it shapes us. It spreads us. It slowly legitimizes that crudeness. We start to, it shapes the way we view things. It makes it that the more times I see something crude or I hear something crude or I, or I um, say something crude, the more it becomes a real thing. We need to focus on the life that we were at or that we are called to, the life of the new man. And so the Spirit comes to speak that way of Christ. Speak those things of Christ. Be in step with the Spirit. We're going to look uh, here. It's not the text for today, 
But if you read on in chapter 3, you're going to see the fruits of the Spirit. Or you're going to see the things that we are supposed to have. Uh, you're going to see the way, the virtue of Christ. And so we get that then by the Spirit guiding us and by following His leading. But we also get that by the Word of God, which He has inspired and He's revealed to us. We get a knowledge of this. I explain this, you know, uh, one way is I almost feel like when we expose sin, it's like we're getting the battle plan. The Word of God is the battle plan, but it's also, you know, we turn some pages and we see around into the storehouse of, of the armory. We see what the weapons are. We get to understand how sin works, how the devil works, and what he's doing. And that, that's going to end any war there. So if we're in the Word and being guided by the Spirit, this is a way in which we take a stand on our sin. But it's all going to come down to then listening to the Spirit, listening to the Word, and then doing something, spiritual disciplines. And spiritual disciplines are devotion-forming habits. We put away the old man with its practices, so also we pick up the new man, and I'll add in there, with its practices. The practices help form us to something better. The practices of Christ, the spiritual virtues, the way of Christ, they do two things. When we practice them, when we do them, when we form habits of the way of Christ, telling truth, loving people, practicing generosity, confessing our sins. These are the practices we're talking about. When we do these, they do two things. They starve the sin or the weed so that it dies, and they also feed the virtue. It's taking the watering can from the weeds and moving it to the flowers. It's taking the watering can and moving it to the cucumbers so that the right thing grows and the wrong thing dies. This will not be done until Christ returns. I think it's foolish for us to think that we can ever achieve a way of a garden with weedless perfection. That will not happen this side of Christ's return. So this is our daily task of doing this. And only then, when we long for Christ, when He comes, when He returns, and it's glorious, then He can make all things new, and it can be as it is. And I want that day. And so for that, it should give us that hope to, to get to the task of daily killing our sins. Not because it's all us, because the Spirit can move us, can give us that power to do it. Scripture can clarify the way to go about it, and our disciplines can keep us in the right way, the way that is right and true, connected to the vine, that our garden of our hearts may abound when connected to that vine. Let's pray.